Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Brad Crone, who's president of Campaign Connections, a political strategist and uh, runs a Raleigh-based consulting firm specializing in public affairs and public relations. He's been a frequent guest on this program before, and he's a regular panelist on North Carolina Spin as well. Uh, Brad has uh, uh, been with uh, WPTF News a long time ago, and uh, since that time, he's branched out into numerous other uh, career activities. We've talked about all sorts of things so far, but uh, one of the things I'd like to get your opinion on, and we'll go over them race by race, and that is the effect so far of COVID-19. You touched on it briefly at the end of the last segment, and also uh, what you think may happen as a reaction to the week of protest that we've had in the various races. In North Carolina, we have uh, that... Uh, I guess the opposite of the blue moon period where we have all three races up. We have uh, a United States Senate race. We have a presidential race. And of course, every member of uh, Congress is up for, for election. So uh, let's, let's look at North Carolina first. Do you see uh, the situations uh, that we have had? And as we said, there's two of them affecting how North Carolina might vote in the October, November period of time. We really don't have any public polling data or private polling data at this point in time to show that there's immediate impact following COVID-19 and the George Floyd protest. My uh, experience, 30 years of being in this business, would suggest that I think we're going to have very close races because, as I said in the last segment, I think we're looking at galvanization of our bases. Uh, the polar basis of each party, your liberal Democrats and your conservative Republicans. And the the tip tipping point for North Carolina is going to be an affiliated voter. So we've seen uh, Civitas put out a poll last week that had Trump up three points. I believe when it's all said and done, it's going to be a 100,000 vote uh, difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I believe it's up for grabs. If uh, Trump is able to uh, garner support from your rural regions of the state in eastern and western North Carolina and actually improve performance, then uh, Trump has an advantage. On the other hand, the Democrats are looking at a 2008 model where you have significant African-American turnout between 22.5 to 23% of your total votes cast. The other big factor that's going to be the question mark for presidential, Senate, and the gubernatorial elections will be um, the impact of where your unaffiliated voters go. It's interesting, Don, that your independent voters in Charlotte and Raleigh are more liberal, while your unaffiliated independent voters, say, for example, in Gaston County and in Johnston County, are a little more moderate conservative. They are fiscal conservatives, somewhat moderate social um, moderates on social issues. So there's a dichotomy even within that 28.5% of your unaffiliated vote in the state of North Carolina. So that's what you really got to be watching. In the U.S. Senate race, that race is, is basically statistically tied. One poll will have Tillis up, another poll will have Cunningham up. I think, again, that's going to be a nail biter. I, I think we could have in, in the state of North Carolina, uh, our top three major races going in well into Wednesday morning, maybe even into Wednesday afternoon uh, before any winners can be declared. 
the other impact that we're looking at is how many people are going to be voting by mail and voting early. Uh, there was some polling last week that showed that there's going to be a significant jump in people who are going to request absentee ballots in the state. And you know, last week, the legislature uh, passed bipartisan uh, a bipartisan bill in the state house between uh, Pricey Harrison, a Democrat, liberal Democrat out of Greensboro, and David Lewis, a conservative Republican out of Dunn, making significant changes, making it easier for people to access uh, early voting, making it easier for uh, voters to access absentee by mail ballots, and then also making sure that our precinct stations have the proper protective equipment and sanitizers, hand sanitizers and equipment to make sure the voting booths are clean, sanitary, and the highest health standards are um, watched and adhered to as we go through the election process. When I was going over the list of candidates, I failed to mention, of course, there's also a race for governor. So we have a presidential race, a gubernatorial race, and a Senate race, as well as all the congressmen in North Carolina are up. So it is a big election with lots of, uh, uh, and of course, we've also had some amount of redistricting, which will also uh, change some huge, things. Huge election. On, on the governor's case, the governor's seen a significant increase in his approval rating simply because of the amount of television time and radio time, broadcast time that he's had to deliver in dealing with the COVID-19 response all the way from March 13th up until present time. Uh, almost on a daily basis, the governor's been holding um, early news conferences around five o'clock and getting a lot of press time on every media outlet across the state. So he's seen an increase in his favorability. A couple other things to watch in the governor's race. Um, the governor has placed about four to five million dollars of television advertising in all the major television markets across the state. He's actually served another four million that I think they're going to be placing uh, their money in. So probably by the end of July, the governor will have placed about $9 million in television advertising and digital media advertising and broadcasting um, dollars of revenues across the state. His opponent, the Lieutenant Governor, Republican Dan Forrest, hasn't bought any television time at this point in time. He has a limited uh, amount of money of cash on hand. The governor has a significant financial advantage going into the remaining uh, three months, four months of the campaign, five months of the campaign, and that's going to be a significant advantage for Roy Cooper. But with that said, Don, it is a structural race, and the Republicans have structural advantage in the gubernatorial race in every television market in the state, with the exception of Raleigh-Durham-Fayetteville. Now, the Raleigh-Durham-Fayetteville advantage for Democrats is significant. It's almost a 200,000 vote difference in uh, vote performance in our television market in the central part of the state. So I believe it's going to be, you know, Cooper only won by about 10,000 votes over McCrory in 2016. The, this election... Cooper should have a, a clear-cut advantage going into the campaign, but it's not a done deal. I think it's going to be a lot closer than people believe that it will be. Uh, you know, I, obviously, I think everyone knows that it's also a race for lieutenant governor and the council of state positions are also up, but that's, that's an area election. 
the uniqueness of this election is the fact that we have a governor's race, a presidential race, and a U.S. Senate race at the same time. The U.S. Senate race has the prospect of being one of the most expensive in the country. Absolutely. Right now, you've had over $40 million of television bought by the Republican Senate Campaign Committee and the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee. Uh, you've had other outside independent expenditure organizations also spend money. At the end of the day, you could have 50 to $60 million spent between Democrats, Republicans, and independent expenditure groups on behalf of each uh, Democrat and uh, Cal Cunningham and Republican Tom Tillis. It could be an absolute barn burner in the state. Other races, I believe, that are truly important, uh, the council state race is going to live or die on top of the ticket performance, how the Democrats do or Republicans do. Uh, one, the race for the General Assembly, there are 120 seats in the state house, seven, uh, 50 seats in the state Senate. Uh, Republicans have maintained control since 2010 election. And uh, Democrats see an opportunity to pick up seats, possibly even challenge uh, the Republicans for leadership, possibly in the state house. It would take a tsunami for the Democrats to take over leadership in the state Senate uh, for them. To, it would have to be a huge Democratic wave uh, for the Senate to lose control. But you've seen tsunamis before 2008, notwithstanding. So uh, I think you're going to see Democrats be competitive. I don't believe that the Democrats will take control at this point in time. I don't see that tsunami. And I think the Republicans will maintain control of the General Assembly. And next year's an extremely important year in the legislative process because of reapportionment. So, uh, and obviously, uh, it, it would appear now with especially the protest of this week that the turnout may be a record-setting turnout, not only because of the number of races, but because of the interest in the, these two very major issues. And of course, a lot of this could change. Uh, you know, for example, there's some folks who think there's a possibility that we may have a vaccine as early as September. Uh, it will take a long time for that vaccine to get distributed, but uh, that would change people's feelings. And of course, a recovery in the economy would change a lot of votes also. So a lot of things, uh, as it, it, uh, Brad, you know, we've got this term in broadcasting that we like to use, stay tuned. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think <clears throat> what we've seen this year, uh, all the different markers that are out there, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's the George Floyd movement for uh, racial equality and social justice, I think they are real markers in the future of our country, uh, very similar to, to the periods of time that we saw back in the 60s. Uh, I was talking with my cousin uh, the other day about it's not like our country has not seen similar stresses. And we have survived. We have come out actually stronger. And uh, that's what we got to look at. Our guest is Brad Crone, president of Campaign Connections. And we'll be back with one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. And we will sort of recap what we have uh, been talking about so far when we get to that segment. And that's coming up right after these messages. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out 
in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was gonna do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. And you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Brad Crone. A reminder, if you're listening to the station that carries a half-hour version of this program, there are two other segments of uh, the program that are available on uh, online and you can pick those up by going to carolinanewsmakers.com and uh, they're segregated out or you can listen to the entire broadcast again if you so choose. Our guest this week is Brad Crone, president of Campaign Connections, a frequent guest on our program and we've talked about uh, COVID-19, we've talked about the protests, we've talked about the possible outcome on elections so far so uh, let's turn to one other issue, right? or not an issue, but I guess a summarization of what we're talking about. What should we look forward to the rest of, uh, say, June and July as indications of where we may be headed in the fall? What, what uh, do you see happening in the next, say, six weeks that could change things one way or the other? Don, I think the most important thing that we can see over the next six weeks is leadership accountability. And there's been frustration at the local level uh, in our major cities across the state with local leadership. There's been uh, protest and concerns of, uh, and questions of leadership of our governor and uh, clearly uh, questions of leadership for a president who is, I believe, more interested in dividing us than trying to, to heal us. Uh, so I think it comes back to leadership accountability and it starts literally at the top at the presidential level. President Trump likes to compare himself to Abraham Lincoln, but there really isn't any comparison when you look at history. Lincoln, in the midst of a civil war, uh, found the character and integrity to call for reconciliation. He had a famous quote in his second inauguration address, with malice towards none and charity towards all. Meanwhile, we have a president right now in the middle of a national crisis, calling for active duty military troops to assume defensive positions in the District of Columbia. He encourages the use of tear gas and flashbangs to clear Lafayette Park so he could have a photo op with the Bible, something I'm surely that he very rarely reads. So we need leadership accountability at the national level, 
at the state level and at the local level. We can't let these voices for change go unheard. And so it's a process of follow-up and making sure that our leaders are held to account and are responsible for implementing and executing the change that people demand. Again, I would like to remind the critics that I had uh, from after last week's broadcast, we always allow our guests to express their personal opinions and uh, do not try to censor their comments. Uh, we try to balance off with the number of guests that we have. And so if anything that Brad has said disagrees with you uh, and your view and opinion, that's certainly uh, your prerogative. And it's certainly Brad's prerogative to have his views and opinions. And I think it's through the expression of, of, of views and opinions by everyone that we might find some middle ground uh, of uh, finding solutions to these things that are coming up. But I, I did want to reemphasize that because uh, we try to uh, allow our guests on this program to always have the ability to uh, express their views and opinions. Uh, that's exactly why we call it Carolina Newsmakers. These are newsmakers who are asked to uh, give us their views and opinions. So, um, Again, what, what would you say would be something that might change the way this course is going? You, you, you've obviously said it's a time for leadership to step forth, but what kind of actions and the result of those actions might we expect to happen that might change uh, the course of not only the COVID-19, but also the social injustice uh, protest issues? I think we got to look at engagement. And engagement is a two-way street, Don. It's not a one-way street. And, and engagement means having a dialogue with the minority community. It means having a dialogue with groups uh, who may be underrepresented or may not necessarily uh, represent a majority of thoughts and voters. So it, it's bringing together your African-American community, your LGBTQ community, your Asian and Spanish community, uh, your, your uh, leading women voices, female voices in our society, and really having a dialogue on what can we do to change, what can we do to improve. Uh, we were talking off air before the show started about investing in our educational system. Well, you know, it's imperative for our African-American community and our minority community, our Latinos, Asians, uh, our immigrant community to take advantage of the institutions that are there to provide a hand up for those folks. So uh, yes, we need to invest in public education in this state. We need to support it. We've also got to have the minority communities to support it and engage in it and work to make it better too, because the institutions that we have in place to help economic justice starts at our public school, at the front door of our public schools, at our community colleges, at our universities. So I believe that it's got to start, success has got to start, change starts with engagement. And, and as I said, holding our leaders accountable to the changes that you want. And I believe that starts from the top down and from the bottom up. Uh, at city council and at the county commission level, at the state legislature and at Congress and at the White House. Very quickly, uh, I have been a little surprised because the population of North Carolina now, uh, the uh, population according to the United States Census, 
is that about uh, 10, 11% of our population is Hispanic. But uh, that community has not become a political force yet. Yet 10% is a pretty substantial number. When do you see that changing? Well, I think it's going to be over the course of several more election cycles. The uh, Latino Hispanic vote in the state is far underrepresented. And a lot of that is because of access, because of the language barrier, because of intimidation of the uh, immigration process and legalization of uh, immigrants but to become uh, naturalized citizens of the United States. But I think over the next three, four election cycles, next eight to ten years, we're going to see the increase of Latino voices at the ballot box. Right now it's about one and a half to two percent of your total votes cast. I think that could clearly double or triple within the next eight to ten years. And that's going to be a really significant voice too, uh, Don, when they, when they gain power at the ballot box. It would appear from television views that the Latino community has not been very involved in the recent protest. No, uh, they have been somewhat, uh, but they've not been the dominant uh, face of the protest. Primarily, uh, African-American community has dominated the George Floyd protest, and, and rightly so. Well, uh, so uh, any, any further advice of what we should look for in the next week? Well, I, I think... You've got, um, you got about 20 seconds. I think calmer heads are going to prevail. I think the, the peaceful protests have a voice. We need to listen to them. We need to look at holding our leaders accountable and looking at engagement in all communities to bring about change to improve our local communities, our state, and our nation. Well, just like a good broadcaster, your timing is impeccable. Brad Crone has been our guest. He's the president of Campaign Connections and uh, is also a political strategist, and he's been a frequent guest on our program before. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can do that by going online to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com, and either hear the entire broadcast, or if you're listening to a half-hour version of the program, you can hear the two segments that you missed. Program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he will have another interesting guest for us again next week on this same group of stations. So, until next week, same time, along the state of North Carolina, we wish you well. Stay home, stay safe, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.